Welcome to the Next Issue Podcast. We're a group of friends that love talking comics and all that it entails. Uh, we're based out of Dallas, so you'll hear us talk about how these comics make up a part of our daily lives, including our local comic shop, conventions, and other forms of entertainment. Welcome. All right, so let's, uh, how's everybody doing? Good. Um, so let, let's go ahead and just do our, our previously on Next Issue segment. Uh, if anybody yeah. wants to kick that off, uh, see what we've been doing uh, in the past few weeks. I was well. I, I'll, I'll start with the sad stuff. I buried my dog. That's Aww. why I wasn't in the last episode. Yeah, we're uh, very sorry to hear that. So sorry, Clay. My my sweet Colin. So the only message is adopt, don't shop. Good, good. That's a good message. Um, and then moving on to the not so sad stuff. You edit out yeah. my 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 no. sad intro. No, I'll find some nice music to it. But can you you want to hit us up with your what you've been reading and watching? Strange Academy. I got this past week, and I was excited because uh, I'd gotten a Scotty Young cover and forgot he was writing the book. Um, the art is Humberto Ramos, uh, yeah, and it just nice fits artist. the story. It's really it's just bringing in all the different parts of magic from the mutant world and other worlds uh, as the kids of various people throughout the Marvel universe uh, enroll their kids in the school. Uh, so it, the first day you hooked me, I was just buying it for the cover and I'm all in. Uh, yeah. And I read the, I read the book as well. And I really, I really don't know how they had not made something like this before. It feels like it feels like with all the schools that Marvel already has for like mutants and young Avengers and just like uh, even the like Runaways was kind of a teen book even though they weren't at a school like they they've they they're pretty good at this concept of putting in a bunch of characters from different properties with one common thing and magic just feels like it was there all along right uh, what, I, I like- what I really really like is Humberto Ramos designing a lot of these new characters. Uh, the, the great thing about him is he draws kids like kids. Like you're not going to get, uh, you know, um, I'd say it, but like adult versions, costumes and stuff. Yeah. Kids like some in really bizarre uh, magic themed stuff. Yeah. And I don't know. I think I don't know what's what's like as far as fashion. I don't know what it, the current fashion for the kids is. But I mean, everything, all their outfits look pretty cool. Like just their designs. And I don't know. But I mean. That could be just me thinking that that's what kids look like nowadays. It's kids from other worlds too. Yeah, yeah, it's got a pretty nice cast. Uh, I think there's some people from Asgard. Uh, Dormammu's kid is one of the students. Pumpkinhead. Yeah, yeah, he. I like his design <laughs> a lot. I like the uh, the the teachers that they possibly introduce or that they'll be rotating. So it's pretty interesting. All right, uh, Kyle, do you want to go next? Uh, sure. So I read um, Flash 750, which like almost other Flash stories, they you know they start off like everything's awesome in the Flash universe, and then of course he comes back, and who do we get? Godspeed, who's now bringing him back like another another big baddie for the Flash. But what I like kind of like is they're using Godspeed and Black Hole story, which are kind of correlating with the Flash TV series. You've been watching the CW show. Godspeed's supposed to be showing up in the next episode, next two or three episodes, I think. And then the other thing I've really been kind of enjoying is they've been doing a new Star Wars series, which deals with basically at the end of Empire going into the whole kind of story of Jedi. And so we're kind of looking to figure out how Luke's lightsaber kind of plays back into the uh, Star Wars mythos. Or Anakin's lightsaber, let me rephrase that. 
<laughs> and then uh, on if anybody has never been, there's a website called Tubi. There's a TV site where you can basically watch a whole bunch of free like, older shows, new shows, movies, and anime. And I've been watching checking out a couple episodes of an anime called Bakuman, which is about two teenagers creating their own manga for like jump. Oh, that's it's, it's got kind of this almost might be kind of good for your daughter, uh, Josh, because it's kind of got a good thing yeah. about, you know, following your dreams and, you know, just don't let anybody keep you from what, you know, your desires and if your art, if you're trying to create that. Yeah. Manga is one of the, it's the really in like tough industry to kind of get into because there's, yeah. there's so much and, you know, like all these, all these really popular manga have like a lot of assistance and we may, we should do a manga episode in the future just to dive more into that. Well, it, they, what I really like is they even they really push that it was like two of the teenagers get editors for Jump and even explains like you know first they do a niche market like an indie market and they, it's really popular but then they get you know told they weren't in the first place of this contest so they decide they want to go mainstream they want to do a battle manga like fantasy battle manga and the editors trying to tell you it's like no there's so much out there it's not, it's not going to be popular if you want to be popular stay with your niche market stay where you're you're good at and they just at some point yeah. they just don't want to listen they want to prove themselves prove the editor wrong. Um, and you guys will be proud of me. I only bought one cover of Flash 750 as opposed to the 10. <laughs> I only had 10? Yep. Wait a second. When the 100th, 100 page special of the 80th anniversary of Robin comes out, how many covers are you going to buy then? <sighs> we'll cross that bridge when we get to it, Kyle. <laughs> yeah. That is, you got news. That is that world, and he's sensitive about that. It's a it's a case by case basis. Like for Wonder Woman, I didn't plan to buy all those covers. It just happened. <laughs> that is Daniel's. That's Daniel's personal Rubicon. Yeah, but so. the, the the one I got was a, it's actually a blank cover, but it's red, so it looks really like it looks like something I could get. So I mainly got it so I could get a cool commission like on it. Yeah. Um. So all right, uh, Josh, do you want to tell us what you read? Uh, I'm, I'm yeah. actually pretty excited to hear about this one <laughs> i was uh uh i was excited too when uh this was announced so i finally got to read uh, as we all did strange adventures number one by uh, tom king it's gerard uh it's great it's just it it's uh it's the kind of thing that well it, it you start reading it and it's a it's a the story is set up in a kind of dual way so it's like it, it plays with that concept of him as ron's hero versus him as earthling but something has happened and uh he and his wife are now on earth um and they're celebrities and he's released a book uh it's it, and and he's getting all this like like pushback from people uh because of the thing that has happened on ron that we don't fully know yet uh, we just know that it was bad. Um, it's it's immediately compelling. Again, I know it's it's crazy that I've been. It's in my queue to read uh, Mr. Miracle. It's in my queue to read like all this Tom King stuff, and this is kind of my first, uh, you know, jumping into it. But you may be one anyway, of the only. You I, may be one of the only people that read this before Mr. Miracle. I know, I know. So I, you know, I'm not coming into a cold because I we all talked about it and you guys kind of set up some of the, the uh, theme and the tone of it. And that certainly seems to be corresponding here as well. But well, I'm curious to see your journey reading this and not comparing it to his other works. Cause I'm already wanting to compare it to Mr. Miracle. Oh, I see. I, I, 
I'm coming at it more, I think, from the history of uh, Adam Strange as a character, right? So it's like when I started reading the kind of the, the dual stories, <laughs> um, I, I, I saw it as the way the character lives a sort of dual life, right? He's an Earthling, he's a Ronian hero. Um, so yes, I didn't, I didn't have that kind of context of Mr. Miracle and the other things that King has worked on. Um, but it's, it's great. I'm, I'm really excited to keep reading it. I'm, I'm glad I, I subscribed, so I'll just get them as they come, come in. So, um, great. No, that, that was, yeah, I, I'm really, that's why I haven't been able to read it, but how does it compare to your idea that you had, Josh? Remember we talked about, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's hitting a little close to home. I'm, that's the one thing I'm kind of worried about. So I'm going to keep uh, reading it. I, I, I certainly feel like it's it's going to go into very different and probably much more serious and, um, as Tom King does, kind of uh, important subject matter, whereas mine is just kind of like a throw-off joke that <laughs> I, could, I could repeat ad nauseum. Um, but, uh, yeah. Save it, I, save it for your ambush bug story. Right. Right, it won't work with English. <laughs> it has to be Adam Strange, but no, it's it's great, and I I feel like I can't talk too much about it because it'll it, it it'll spoil some stuff. So um, yeah. Okay, yeah, we'll we'll definitely revisit this later on when when yeah, we, yeah, yeah. we've all read it. Uh, if we can summon Adrian back to read it, uh, hopefully we'll get him to discuss it as well. Um, <laughs> Uh, and I myself actually read, well, I mean, I read a bunch of things, but the one thing I want to talk about, uh, Wonder Twins Volume 1, Activate, by Mark Russell and Stephen Barn. It's it's really good. I, I, I read the first issue when it first came out, but with a lot like with a lot of things, I just I feel like it reads better as a trade, which this definitely does. They get in and they come in in high school, right? That's like the kind of the premise of the, of the bit. They're also like uh, interns for the for the Justice League. Yeah. So, so they. <laughs> That's part of the Young Justice when Bart goes to the Hall of Justice and he's yeah. just reciting all of Barry's like codes and they're like, "How are you doing this?" Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it's really good. Is there's definitely a lot of like there's definitely a message uh, for the book uh, just set up within the premise. Uh, their their nemesis in the book it's uh, what's it called the the instead of the League of Doom is the League of Annoyance. <laughs> so it's like it's like minor villains that you know there's they're not like super villains they're just like villains that that kind of annoy you and they they still need to be stopped, but it's not something that the Justice League will take time to to take care of. Yeah, it was really good. I definitely recommend it. Uh, Barnes artist is just really good. Like. He the, uh, once again he makes teenagers look like teenagers where, you know. So I always appreciate that. Um, and then I'm looking forward to reading the next issue once it uh, finally. I don't think it's been collected. So um, I follow on Twitter, uh, Stephen Byrne, because mm-hmm. of his art. And then I also want to just real quick. Uh, I also read Naomi Volume One or Season One. Yeah. Uh, by Brian Bendis, and uh, uh, he's got two. He's got two artists on it, but that one it, it it's just a really nice introduction. It's kind of like a a repackaging of the Superman character, but in a it's an updated. It feels kind of like like when he introduced Miles Morales, which like it's Spider Man, but it's not Spider Man, but but it oh, is right, Spider Man, okay. right? 
So <laughs> Naomi's kind of the same where she's she's not Superman, but there's a lot of Superman stuff in there. But it's, you know, so it's really interesting. I, I look forward to see what she does forward going into season two. And also the she she crosses paths with the Young Justice, I think, from what I've seen in the previews and books and stuff. So, you know, Ben does he pretty much crosses everything that's on the Wonder Comics imprint. So, but yeah, that that's that's pretty much it. That's so it's really both of those are really good. We'll move on to our, our main topic today, and this will be something that uh, it kind of came about because I'm listening to a a podcast about the history of Mortal Kombat. <laughs> like the the actual wow, yeah. So it's it's the about game, the game was created by Midway Games, which used to be about an hour outside of Dallas. No, no. So it's not it's not about the history of the actual game. It's about the lore of Mortal Kombat. Uh, it's a writer, uh, writer, and maybe I think writer comedian Ben Meckler. I don't know if you guys have. You might have seen some of his tweet reviews that yeah. he does, like like a yes, series. Yeah, so he he hosted and he has a friend over, and he'll invite him to. Uh, he'll just take one character and give him the whole history of mortal of their Mortal Kombat history, and a lot of that stuff comes from the comics because the there was a Mortal Mortal Kombat ten when the when, when the game was coming out. Uh, DC Comics made a tie-in comic, and it was just, yeah, it was, it's really, it's good, and it's gory. Dexter Soy is drawing it, so he knows how to draw all that stuff very well. <laughs> um, and you don't realize what the, oh, it, the podcast is called Mortal Podcast with a K. God. <laughs> of course it is. Genius. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I definitely recommend it. Um but do you guys have any? I don't know who. We'll take turns here. Just kind of go around the horn. Just talk about some stuff like that. Yeah. So it just comes based um, off other properties. Yep. Yep. I think um, Josh and Clay have one in common. So if you guys want to start there. Yeah. Although Clay knows more about I'm the Apes fan. And, yeah. Um, and so I've just been getting the recently collected volumes uh, that collect pretty pretty much the most of its Marvel. And I think at the end, some of its uh, booms individual series. I'm trying to remember when the first film came out. Was it Josh? Do you remember Wait, which film? Six. The first Planet of the Apes. Oh, Planet of the Apes. Okay. Like I'll, I'll look it up. It's like sixty-seven, sixty-eight. Um, yeah, because it originally was. Uh, I should. I wish I had some of them in reach. I could go through what I have. Um, <clears throat> but uh, the best stuff that I find sixty-eight. Yeah, and then in a. 70s, Marvel's publishing them uh, with Mike Lugark, um, who's a great fantasy artist. He's done a lot of uh, man thing, oh, yeah. and uh, uh, his his ape stuff is incredible. It's really, really fun. What are you reading now from any uh, Josh Planet of the Apes wise? Uh, so I, I, I picked up the same collected volume that you recommended, and I still, I still need to kind of dive more deeply into it. Um, I think, as I said, I can't remember if it was on air or after maybe two episodes ago. There are some good books that are about the analyze the tie-in material around the films. And so one is mm-hmm. the novelizations, and then there's another book just about the comics. 
and I'm going to look up who they are written by. Oh, is this uh, the, the sequential art book recommended? It, the what? Sequential art book you recommended? Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, it's by, let's see, Seki Art. So, uh, again, I have very little experience with the original comics, so I was going to let Clay talk about those. Um, okay, so the one about the kind of the mythos generally in the novels is called Bright Eyes Ape City, and that's by um, Richard Handley, uh, Joseph E. Baronado. And then there is the Sacred Scrolls comics on the Planet of the Apes, and that is edited by the same. I have a I have a question for you guys since you're more familiar with these uh, comic books. Why and and this may be maybe I'm just missing something. As far as the comic books go, why do you think that the comics are mostly based on the original films, as opposed to because I, whenever the the reboot, the Mad Reeves, I don't know if he did the whole all, oh. all the movies. But just the the new stuff that came out. He did the last two. Yeah. So they never launched. I don't. I don't think they've launched the comic book yeah. in that universe of the apes, right? Because the original movies are the best movies. Now they're, they're not whatever we get now. Well, the original yeah. lore of the Planet of the Apes is the best storyline that we have compared to what they re- released in the theaters in the last couple of years. They're all one storyline. Yeah. 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 That's what's so crazy. They're all I, within one. Even even I'm gonna send y'all a video uh, that. And I can't believe I watched and, and liked it was the 2001 and Tim Burton's. It actually validates and makes the story believable in the Apes timeline. Yeah, if you, if you could drop the link on the notes, I'll share it with uh, when I release this. Um, but yeah, so all the all the and I I understand what Kyle's saying because I I think the 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 characters are definitely more uh, fleshed out because there's been so many more movies. But yeah, it's weird that they never try to introduce comics based on like. The movies be- between like the second, the first and second movie, or the second and third movie, like I think it's also well, because I... there's a bigger fandom for the, like the original films. I mean, like you know, you look at going back and looking at all this stuff. I mean, Zeus, uh, not Zeus, uh, Richard, who owner of Zeus, does a uh, podcast called uh, "Minute Beneath the Planet of the Apes," where basically they go minute by minute of each of the films, and they talk about the stories, you know, the fleshing out. And it's like there's just more of a fandom there because it's you look at the look at the storyline. You start the first Planet of the Apes where you have Charlton Heston's character. They go into the future. They're on Earth. Then you have the second film where you have basically what's left of humanity are these genetic mutants who basically leave a to- an atom bomb go off, and there goes the Planet of the Apes. But then you have three apes that go back into the future of Earth, and it changes the whole timeline. So there's like this weird, interesting storytelling where it's, it's with the current storyline. It's like, oh, uh, a virus kills that most of the human race. Uh, apes get get smarter, and they're trying to do, have a truce, but they can't. Now, I think when you, if you're going by the world of sci-fi, there's more of a stronger urge of fantasy and sci-fi with the original storyline there is with the, with the newer one. Well, and I would I, – I completely agree. Uh, I also kind of feel like the original films, there is more openness between mm-hmm. the like the first and the second and the third films in particular that provides opportunity to insert narratives into. The new films, as great as they are, and they are, they're really, really good. They're a little tighter in the story they're telling. So I think there's less openness for other creators to come in and kind of fill that in. It makes me think of, um, and again, I'm still reading them, so probably all of you can speak to this a bit better, but when you look at the original Star Wars comics, as soon as they end Star Wars, that period between when they pick up after Star Wars and when Empire comes out, it's a wild comic, right? Oh, yeah. It's like nothing else existed to frame where they needed to take that story. It was much more open. When Han has a when Han, Han's second co-pilot is a giant green rabbit. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I love Jackson. <laughs> so so I, I, 
I feel like, yeah, as Kyle said, the, the fan base is much more in tune with the original film. So I think there's also just more room for creators to come in and play around in that world. And I, I just want to point out real quick, in, in the notes, I explicitly asked Josh not to talk about Star Wars, but he loves going rogue. He's a, he's a, sco- he's a scoundrel and I can't stop him. I just, I, I just have one reference. That's it. I'm done. I'm done. Uh, I was just kidding. I want to um, make a bold prediction that Jackson shows up in season two of The Mandalorian. I would lose. Awesome. Awesome. Who would you cast? Alan Tudyk, right? Everything, everything animated. Yeah. Alan Tudyk. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, he's the second savior of Star Wars at this point. So. He's, he saves everything. <laughs> you guys think The Rock is prolific, but Alan Tudyk, he's prolific. Oh, no, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. I want to throw something. You said he saves everything. He was in Transformers Three. You think he saved that film? Well, he—that's he, the—that's the exception that proves the rule. I think Michael Bay is his kryptonite. I don't think if you're working with Michael Bay, he can't save anything. Then, yeah, yeah, I kind of. You gotta say it. He couldn't save Firefly. No, oh. that's not true. No, that's well, not true. That's I think, not... No, it's because of Tudyk that we got the film. Yeah, that's a big part of it. Alan got us the film, so yes, he did save Firefly. <laughs> but those are two good segues. Do either of you guys read the either Transformers or the Firefly comics? Well, the Transformers definitely. Kyle. You want to chat a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, it's they, again. We have the Transformers multiverse. Current time, current series we have in the Transformers universe right now is basically pre-Transformers, even before they got to the Civil War and Cybertron. So, Optimus Prime is still a Ryan Pax, and he's good friends with Megatron. And and it's it's really early because they're really diving to other characters like RC and Bumblebee. Um, and you know, and, and I like what the, I like a lot of the stories. Like the previous one, I brought up when IDW did their Hasbro crossover, and the most recent story they did was Unicron. Basically, was destroying all of the universe, and so they come to Earth, and so you have, you have the Micronauts, you have GI Joe, you have Mask, you have Transformers, you have Rom, you have the Visionaries, all set on one new Cybertronic-based Earth after they were able to stop Unicron. And these are, you know, these are all comic books based on well, at least my childhood, '80s lineage toy lines. So, I think they're, I think they're doing a nice, you know, when Marvel was the first one to jump on the on the line with the Marvel with the Transformer comics, and it was what it was. But then you have, I, then you had uh, Image. With Dreamwave Productions, and then basically IDW comes in, and I think they've gone an awesome route with different stories, just telling the lineage of the Generation One Transformers. I've read, oh no, I haven't read. I actually have the first 12, 12 issues of the newest stuff. Twelve volumes. <laughs> no, I'm sure there's twelve volumes somewhere. Um, and I think another thing that people keep recommending is the Transformers versus GI Joe by Tioli. Uh, I think oh. he did a, a mini series. Oh. So we're you mean getting, this? Uh, yeah, there you go. Dude, that looks really nice, Omnibus. actually. Omnibus. <laughs> if you can send me, a pic- if you can send me a picture of that, I'll, I'll put it on the. When yeah. I send no, this the is one of the greatest stories ever done. Again, if you get the chance, get Cioli's uh, GoBots because it's just as messed up. Before I jump in, Josh, you want to tell us a little bit about the? Oh, sorry, Kyle, do you want to wrap? Well, oh, no, I, I just wanted to jump in because we're talking about like you know series, and like I think we both mentioned, if you want to talk about even jump in any world. With comic books based on other properties, just Boom and IDW alone do that. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking yeah. at Boom Studios, and they've got let me, let me see the list here. They've got Adventure Time, Angel, you know, Buffy and the Vampire Slayer, Big Trouble in Little China, Bill and Ted. You know, where is another one? Uh, Clueless. They did a comic book on Clueless of all things. Uh, they got Firefly. They got Garfield, Fraggle Rock, and, and then if you go over to IDW. They got my old pony, Star Trek, Sonic the Hedgehog, and they didn't all do all the crossovers. I mean, I think the most recent crossover they're doing now is TMNT with Power Rangers. So, I'm I mean, actually these picking are the that. Up. I think that are really. It looks good. I mean, I read the uh, Power Rangers has, Justice League did a couple years ago. What was that, Clay? Who has Ghostbusters? Oh, IDW. Yeah. Those two comic books. I mean, look at all the crossovers I've been talking about. You know, Tarzan and Tarzan and Planet of the Apes, King Kong, Planet of the Apes. 
you know, uh, Ghostbusters and Transformers of all things, where the Ecto One becomes a Transformer, or, or, or a Transformer takes over the place of Ecto One. It's like <laughs> they had right. this. I love the ideas they come up with. These they're kid based stories. Yet adults can enjoy them also. Yeah, for sure. I think yeah, I need, I need that we I, I don't pick up a lot of their stuff, but when they have like a big sale, I know they'll have good stuff for me to like catch up on later. Uh, which is where I picked up all those Transformers one through twelve, mm-hmm. and then the I, I I'm pretty sure I have the Transformers GI Joe. I'm waiting to catch up on Angel and Buffy because I really I'm really looking forward to the reboot of those properties. But okay, sorry, no, Josh, you had something that you wanted to oh, one yeah. good one. Oh, I think it's a uh, interesting that it was kind of a two one roll. It was two rolls, one good one, one bad roll. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, I just I was thinking about the. I, I, I've been reading a lot of fantasy lately, and I've been reading a lot of the Pathfinder novels, and I, I've read the comics before, which I've discussed on the show being great, and they are. Um, but I've also been getting, dabbling into some of the official D&D <clears throat> properties, and there are two comic series right now, both just wrapping up. One, of course, is the excellent Rick and Morty versus D&D second uh, volume, which is continues to be incredible. And and the other one is D&D A Dark Wish. And the the fifth and last issue just came out, I want to say last week. And so I completed the series. And what I find so interesting is just how starkly different they are. The Rick and Morty series, both of them so far, have been great. And I think part of the reason for that is because of how well it captures both the, the what makes both of these properties so compelling. Right, it, it doesn't dilute Rick and Morty, and it doesn't take away at all from D and D. And I think what makes it so successful is that instead of playing in D and D the lore, it plays into D and D the game and how the game functions. And it just riffs off that, and it does a great job of kind of exploring. I mean, you know, just in the first Rick and Morty series, did you guys? read it no not yet i yeah it's on my ever growing backlog in the in the in the first it begin what what prompts the whole story is the fact that uh morty is at the library and he sees a group of kids his own age playing D &D, and one is a girl that he likes and it it inverts you know and and updates for where the the world we're actually in, where D&D is popular, rather than, you know, we're all of an age where playing D&D in high school was seen as a sign that you're a giant nerd. But here is Morty, like, desperate to, like, learn how to play D&D so that he can meet this girl. Hell breaks loose. In the second one, it plays off of this idea of Rick, who we find out in the first series, was an avid D and D player, and of course he's a you know he's a, a power player. He he wants his characters to be as like powerful, and he wants to break the rules as possible. What what kind of drives the second series is uh, an unfinished D and D campaign that he had started, and and so it's just like I said earlier. I think what makes those books so successful is that it's not playing in the world of D and D; it's playing in the game of D and D. And I and I mention that because. A Darkened Wish, I was really excited. Uh, and I think I've brought up before in the show that I, I would love to know the backstory behind it because the first issue came out on schedule. It was great. I really liked it. And then there was nothing, like crickets, for like at least four to six months. And I subscribed to it, so I would check. I'm like, where's the next issue? And then finally it just kind of popped up one day. And I, I was kind of Googling around, like trying to figure out, like, are there news reports about what 
delay is, and I can never find anything. So it just it just it came, and then I think only those of us that subscribed mm-hmm. to it were really kind of aware that it kept going. It has I I have to give it due justice. I think now that every issue's out, I'm gonna go back and reread it like I would a trade because I was trying to read it issue by issue. Mm-hmm. But it just it has the skeleton of a really really good story there, but it just doesn't come through. It just and it it has an ending that is so abrupt that I feel like I missed something, and I may have. So I, that's why I, I want to go back and kind of reread it. That being said, the the art and I need to I need to bring up who the artist was. She is fantastic. She's really it's the the art is amazing, and I would say the one you know the one reason to really read it at this point is. Uh, is the art because she she does this thing where uh, it's uh, Tess Fowler. Oh yeah, and yeah, she's great. Oh, she's fantastic, and she's doing this thing where the characters in the course of the story are very young; they're like teenagers, and then they're also very old. And she designs them perfectly; like you really believe you're seeing young and old characters believably. It's 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 great, but the story and, and I and I guess my point is that. This is a story mm-hmm. set deeply in, uh, in uh, D&D lore, uh, specifically the uh, Forgotten Realms. And it just it just struggles. I think it really struggles to find its footing. So yeah, I, I didn't care for it. I'm, I'm going to reread it and give it a second try, but uh, uh, it, I just I find it intriguing how out like knocking it out of the park they can do when they focus on gameplay versus lore and that being said uh, again in contrast to say the pathfinder comics uh those do a great job of kind of balancing both they will um they are deeply tied into the lore and the world that uh paizo's created for pathfinder but the thing i love about those comics is at the end of every issue they have like a map you can use in gameplay. They have NPCs you can bring in. It's like they recognize that they are clearly operating in a in an RPG gaming property. And so, how do we make this link to the tabletop? You know, so it's 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 just in very stark contrast. And again, I suspect something was going on behind the scenes with the Darkened Wish that maybe because uh, even in uh, Fowler's art, you can tell. By the last two issues, the inking in particular feels very rushed. I don't know if maybe she had a different assistant or she was using a different process to ink, but it just it doesn't have the crispness that the earlier issues had. So, have you have you read any of the Critical Role stuff? I have not, um, and I, I did just order the Baldur's Gate collection, and that should be here. I think like in a month or so, um, and so I'm gonna give that a spin because that's that's. Jim Zub, and he's been writing the Rick and Morty stuff, and so I, I expect I'll probably dig that a bit more. This may just be a lark with a darkened wish. Cool. All right. Do you guys have any, any anything else? I'm looking at trying to see here. I have some stuff that I can. I guess I'll just jump into and jump in if you've also read this stuff. Uh, so I mentioned Mortal Kombat. I just want to give a shout out to the actual. Uh, so Sean Kittleston wrote him, and he he's actually wrote for some of the games as well. So he knows that universe very well, uh, and the story takes it's it's really the story of um, it follows Scorpio as as he in his human form after after the events of the whatever happened before Mortal Kombat ten, and and it just kind of gives you an indication of like how things got to 
the what's going on in the actual game of Mortal Kombat 10. So it's a pretty interesting story because at that point, there's really no, there is no Mortal Kombat tournament, right? Which it's insane that there's so much lore behind just this one. Like the premise is that, do you guys know the premise of Mortal Kombat? Like before yeah. the first game? It's like fighting, what the, right? Well, so <laughs> this is a quick, this is real high level stuff. <laughs> whenever the whenever the whenever the universe started there was this one being uh the, the this one being that uh created these other gods and then those gods were like well we want to be on top so they they split up the one being into what are the the universes and the the realms in mortal Kombat. uh but the one being wants to get back together so he subconsciously tells like makes people want to unite the realms again and the way you unite the realms, uh, the the gods, in order to put a safe safeguard on top of that, they they make it so you have to win ten Mortal Kombat tournaments in a row, and then you can you can pretty much unite realms. So at the beginning of the first game, that's the tenth Mortal Kombat game that that uh, Shansung is is trying to win for Shao Kahn, and then Liu Kang wins. So all that all those ten tournaments, I mean all those nine tournaments that Goro had already won for Outer Roll. Therefore, it's it's a bananas premise, but so basically, if you if somebody disrupts the chain of uh, of tournaments, then it phases them all out and starts. Yeah, Michigan. yeah, but then Shao Kahn and Shang Tsung, like they do, like they find loopholes and stuff, which finally leads them to the. It's it's really crazy, and I don't, like I said, I only know this stuff because of that podcast I listen to. I don't know. I I'm not I'm not even good at the games, so. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but the, the other property I wanted to mention is uh, Power Rangers. Uh, I don't know if you guys have read any Power Rangers books. I was reading the most some of the most recent one where like t- there's another universe where Tommy's in, in charge, like he's become the new evil king, and so he's trying to eradicate again the, the Powerverse multiverse. Lord, Power Rangers Lord, multiverse. Lord Dracon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's re- so that's where that's where I jumped in because Boom released a trailer with uh, with Tommy, mm-hmm. like the actual what's his name, uh, David Parker Frank, David Frank Parker. Frank. No, uh, Jason David Frank. Jason David Frank. Jason. Yeah, they released a trailer with him as Lord Dracon, like, and he looked. I mean, dude, still looked like he's a Power Ranger. Oh yeah, uh, he's a, he's a kickboxing champion. Yeah, and he's based out of Frisco, right? I think. No, or, Houston, I think. Okay. Uh, yeah. So he, you know, so I'm a talent so, agent. Sorry. <laughs> when 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 that trailer came out, I was like, well, I kind of feel like I need to watch this, and they they bring in. The Shattered Grid refers to the multiverse being destroyed by by him. Uh, this story is by Kyle Higgins and Ryan Parrott on art. Ryan Parrott's on the main book, but it ties into all the all the, like the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the the other the other uh, Strike Force or Ninja, or whatever the other ones are. Uh, they even bring in the multiverse of the TV show. Uh, so it's it's really crazy because it, it's kind of like the Highlander movie or the or the one with uh, Jet Li, where he has to go and kill all the Tommies. Uh, the one, yeah, yeah, he has to kill all the Tommies to become like the main Tommy or whatever. So basically, it's their own Crisis on Infinite Earth. It, it really is, and and it, and it did. It's funny you say that because it did kind of reset the relaunch of like the continuity. Mm-hmm. So you know, so whoever at Boom Studios idea had the idea to do that. They they really streamlined their Power Rangers line, but it's really good. I mean, Dan Moore is on some of the books. I love Dan Moore's art. You will see some of his covers on the upcoming Batman uh, Adventures comic that's coming out. So yeah, I, I really recommend it. If you 
the only thing, the only knowledge I had of Power Rangers before I read this was the TV series that I watched. And I didn't really watch all of it anyways. So they make it really easy for you to jump into this event and then catch up. If you guys are wanting to do an in-depth episode about what Japanese series of Power Rangers are based on, I can help you there. (laughs) (laughs) See? (laughs) I don't know that I can get through all of that. Well, I I, I can minimize it into like 15 minutes. I'm just saying, you know, like, do you know the Japanese name of the uh, Mighty Morphin Powers Ranger series? Uh, Super Sentai, I think, right? Super Sentai Zoo Ranger. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I knew a little bit about... So I, I think the, the way the Power Rangers franchise came about, it's really... It's an interesting story, actually. You're right. Yeah. Uh, so maybe... My favorite was just... Something. My favorite was, however, when you used to think the Power Rangers ripped off Voltron. I'm like, no, not really. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it's like... And it's not really a rip-off. It's an adaptation of something else. Oh, yeah. So... All right, but that was that's the ones I had. I mean, there's like like uh, Kyle mentioned earlier, Boom and IDW really are kind of the kings of this. So I'm I'm always interested to see like TV shows that get canceled that move on to a comic book form. Like uh, I think Jericho is one of the more famous one because even though Jericho didn't have a big following, like their fans were pretty they were pretty vocal I mean, about trying to keep the show going. If you want to talk about the history of a series based on other properties, I mean, just go back to like the 1960s, 50s and 60s when you had comic books based on like old TV series. I mean, they had a MASH comic book. They had the Flintstones and Jetsons. I mean, interesting to see like properties that were used in the comic book genre just back before like, we were kids. Yeah. Well, was that Gold Key that specialized in all those That's, properties? They did something. I mean, they they did something yeah. Good. Okay. All right. Before we move on to recommendations, did you guys have any other series you wanted to touch on? I got nothing. All right. I'm a, yeah. Okay, cool. Let's, so let's move on. You want to kick us off, Josh? And we'll go in order, Josh, sure. and Clay, Kyle, and myself. Okay, yeah. So in the in the spirit of uh, today's topic, uh, I want to recommend the Humble Bundle, Doctor Who Comics, and Audiobook Bundle. It, oh, wow. As of recording, there's about 10 days left to get it. And there's some awesome stuff in here. Um, uh, a bunch of the comic properties, but... Also, I mean, what's great is if you if you buy it up through the full kind of fifteen dollar tier, you get um, not just a ton of comics, but also a lot of the audios uh, from Big Finish, which have been doing Doctor Who audios with uh, many of the original cast for good lord, like twenty years now. And uh, in there is the Fourth Doctor Lost Stories box set, which is amazing. It actually stars. Uh, uh, Tom Baker and Louise Jameson, who played Leela. So it's I highly suggested uh, or recommend it. Both of these are great interpretations uh, and continuations of this particular franchise. So, all right, uh, Clay, do you wanna <laughs> you wanna go to do that? <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm gonna recommend Planet of the Apes Visionaries. It's uh, yeah. from Dana Gould, and it's an Daniel's the writer and uh, Chad Lewis uh, on art, but it's an adaptation of Rod Serling's first draft of the movie. Oh. Uh, and it's really cool to see how it went from that to what we got on screen. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Clay almost got my hopes up for a second. When you said Planet of the Apes Visionaries, I really thought it was going to be Planet of the Apes uh, uh, crossover with the Visionaries toy line from the 80s. <laughs> I like that's the first place your brain goes, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you know me, crossovers. I love crossovers. It's always got a like, toy oh tie-in. Yeah, well, yeah. And you think about it, well, both both series deal with like an apocalyptic age, you know, like and the visionaries, Earth's been all technology's been knocked out, magic's come into play, Planet of the Apes, apes have taken over, so why not have a any kind of crossover with the two? You better well, copyright the crossovers that I have read, uh Planet of the Apes uh in Green Lantern, 
That one was okay. Have you read that, that one? Was right. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, and uh, Planet of the Apes and Tarzan. Which was Thunder the Bank Planet of the Apes. Is everybody remember Thundar? Yes. Okay. Thundar was a Steve Gerber creation. Yes. Oh, right. For like, I think, 39 episodes from uh, 1979, 1980. Yeah. Kyle, what's your recommendation? Just because you brought it up, I'm going to go with it again. Transformers, G.I. Joe, IDW. <laughs> <laughs> I can't stress this series enough. Read it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's a definitely a good one. And then yeah, for, it's my, worth it. for my recommendation, I'm going to go with, with Naomi Season 1 uh, by Brian Michael Bendis, David oh. Walker, and Jamal Campbell. Like I mentioned earlier, it's just really, yeah, it's a, it's a really good, it's just really good. Like, I, I can't believe I waited this long. Bendis' dialogue for, like, teenagers, unbelievably. Like, once again, this could be just me not knowing what teenagers sound like, but pretending that that's what they sound like. So it'd be interesting to get somebody's opinion on like, maybe is that really, you know, does he really capture that world? So uh, it's got a few twists and turns. It's really, like I said, it's really interesting. So I, I really enjoyed it. And they are, they are just beautiful. They kind of switch over a little bit. It might be similar to Strange Adventures where, where Doc Shaner does a little bit of the art when depending on, I think it's like when he's remembering stuff or whatever, or whatever it may be, but it's kind of like that. So Walker and Campbell, they, they take turns telling the story and they're both really good at it. All right. Well, if there's nothing else from you guys, uh, yeah, that's the episode. Thanks for joining us. You can find Next Issue on Twitter at Next Issue Pod, on Twitch at Next Issue, and on Facebook at Next Issue Podcast. You can find Clay on Twitter at Clay underscore Harrison, Kyle at Kylepedia, Adrian at Adrian underscore Harry, Daniel at Echo Spider, and Josh at Cosmosis. Hail Bebo. So, <clears throat> Clay, if you want to kick us off whenever you're ready. I think our listeners miss that. Hey, now. <laughs> wow, so it's to update and do a ton of shit. Uh-oh. Yeah. Let me shut down a couple of things. Previously on uh, Next Issue, updates. <laughs> Very just a, thirty minutes of Clay's computer updating. <laughs> Hold on, I need to. I just need to convert to Windows ten, no, just real quick. <laughs> oh, no, oh, it should it. be I'm good now. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> let me build. Let me rebuild my computer. One second. <laughs> Hold on, I'm gonna get on my Commodore sixty four. Kyle, you didn't mute yourself. <laughs> You didn't mute yourself, Kyle. You that. <laughs> it's all right. Hold on. Well, this just shows how much editing. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, man. I'm, I'm going to send you these tracks. Poor Daniel. It's okay. That's yeah, why. You got to take out the sad dog intro and now Kyle. No, I don't have. I'm, I'm going to leave that in. That's Aww. our trivia. That's our trivia. <laughs>
But yeah, no, it's fine. That's I learned the clapping thing, so hold on.